When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And that wasn't a bad weather forecast to kick off our Monday morning. And by all accounts, uh, we now officially have permission to dust off the barbecue because we are set, according to Met Aaron, to finally, 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 in the summer of 2022, get some sen- sunny weather. And it's all thanks to this Azores high. It's this high pressure uh, which originates in the Azores. And of course, the Azores is just off the coast of Africa. And that particular high looks set to move towards towards the country in the second half of this week and that's going to bring temperatures with it in the low to mid-20s. For example, Met Aaron is talking about temperatures on Thursday getting up to 23, even 24 uh, degrees and there's the hint that early early next week uh, temperatures might even be around 25 degrees. Now, predominantly the southeast is going to get the warmest of the weather but we can expect pretty high, pretty nice weather here in the right across uh, the south at the moment. Now they're banking and they're hoping that this high pressure that's moving in midweek will stay in place and will go over the weekend and early into next week and right across next week. And of course they do say as the warmer weather arrives towards the middle of this week we can brace ourselves for some very humid conditions in the evening time and overnight. So we're going to get those muggy nights where everyone then will be complaining about it was too hot I couldn't sleep and we are never happy when it comes to the weather. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls uh, this morning anything you want to share with us we'd love to hear from you text you can uh, WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and I heard our Barry there on the news I mentioned the JP McManus uh, Pro-Am. Can we wish everyone the best of luck in that and everybody going along to see it. May you have a, a wonderful, wonderful day out. I was reading Ryan O'Rourke in the Examiner this morning writing about it saying there's an air of giddy excitement hanging over Limerick as the locals were eagerly anticipating the arrival yesterday of the stars who will all be partaking in the JP McManus uh, Pro-Am. And this is one of those uh, tournaments that really seems to attract the great and the good of 
of golf, but also, you know, the glitz and the glamour that surrounds it. Many big stars as well uh, come. But of course, while it's fantastic for the area from an economic point of view and everybody who takes part really seems to enjoy it. But of course, the most most important thing is this two day event, the JP McManus Pro Am, is the money it raises and it helps uh, people in the city of Limerick and in the wider uh, wider area. The tournament takes place today and tomorrow a day. Uh, manner. I mean, the stars like Bill Murray, Niall Horan, and alongside the great and the good, obviously, and the best in uh, golf. But the money raised, which is raised through ticket sales, it's raised through uh, donations, it really does have a most profound impact on people living right across the mid west region of the country to date the JP McManus Benevolent Fund which first started in the year uh, 2000 to date they have allocated nearly 37 and a half million euro to various groups and organisations across the Midwest and obviously the money raised from this year's programme uh, will follow in the same path so there's a lot of good organisations that really, really benefit from it. And I can speak from a personal uh, point of view because Marsha attends St. Joseph's uh, Foundation in uh, Charleville and St. Joseph's Foundation has been extremely lucky to be one of the beneficiaries of the J.P. McManus uh, Pro-Am. I mean, the hydrotherapy pool on the campus on Baker Street in Charleville, that was built thanks to Pro-Am money. And then, of course, the wonderful Liskinet Equestrian Centre, where the horse boy method for people living with autism is taught. And, of course, it's a, it's a residential unit as well. So um, uh, I, I, for one, uh, have, I'm a great fan of the J.P. McManus uh, Pro-Am. And there's a great picture of Tiger Woods arriving in Adair Manor by helicopter uh, yesterday. And, you know, I, I, think about Tiger Woods being in Adair today and tomorrow. They reckon he'll play about three golf tournaments for the whole of this year and one of those is going to be the Pro-Am in Adair. So it just shows how he really enjoys coming as well. So best of luck to everybody going taking part today but and, and to people going along to see all of the big stars. And the, we lost a big star of gardening at the weekend. It was actually our own Peter Dowdle. It was... It was through Peter I found out about this uh, news because he shared it on his social media and huge amount of tributes poured in over the weekend when it was announced that the well-known RTE gardener Dermot O'Neill had passed away at the age of uh, 58. Now, seemingly according to his family, uh, he died. It was a sudden death. He died at St. Vincent's University Hospital in uh, Dublin at the uh, weekend. Now, he had, of course, battled cancer because he was very public in sharing his cancer story. But that was back in 2009 and he had fully recovered from that uh, stomach cancer. So uh, I don't know what happened, but by all accounts, his family said that it was a sudden death. And of course, Dermot O'Neill was an inspiration to so, so many gardeners. And he would have started out his career on TV on Live at Three. Remember that very popular programme, Live at Three? Many of us, many people would have come home from school and Live at Three would have been on. And for another generation of people, they absolutely adored Live at Three. TV went on and it was kind of at a time when we didn't have a lot of daytime TV and 
Thelma and uh, Derek were, were the big stars and Dermot O'Neill was one of the big stars. He was, I think I'm sh- sure he was on weekly on Live at Three. Now he went on to do a lot of other uh, TV programmes uh, after that and he had a great passion and a great love of uh, gardening and he used to always talk about the fact that how he got into gardening, he was inspired to get into gardening by his grandmother's love of gardening so that's a nice thing now during the summer months for grandparents if you have grandchildren around get them out pottering in the garden who knows they could end up with a career in gardening so the so may he rest in peace uh, the late uh, great Dermot O'Neill Michael in by WhatsApp this morning St Patricia in yesterday's Sunday Independent Ireland thinks poll the most important issue that's on people's mind at the moment is the cost of living 68% say they are worried about the cost of living that was ahead of housing where 49 percent said they are worried about housing however says Michael what I failed to point out that with without fear of contradiction that us people living in rural Ireland are worse affected by fuel costs you can't get anywhere without your car you can't get to town shopping you can't get the children to school you can't go to visit a doctor or hospital appointment your car is a must people in living in rural Ireland have been long forgotten about by successive governments we keep electing and re-electing rural TDs who I feel are not fit for purpose but we have only ourselves to blame. It's time that rural Ireland realised they needed TDs who were fit for purpose. Thanking you, um, says Michael by WhatsApp. And Michael's WhatsApp is timely because before I came on air this morning, I was reading a new report that's out from Grant Thornton. And they found that increases in fuel prices disproportionately hit people on low incomes and rural dwellers because of limited public transport options. This report lays lays bare the impact that significant increases in fuel exercise, in carbon taxes, how all that has had on the price of petrol and diesel at the pumps. According to the report, taxes and subsidies now account for around 62% of every litre of petrol you buy and 58% of every litre of diesel that we buy. Now, during the a temporary reduction, and that is only a temporary reduction on excise duty, remember they took 20 cent off the price of petrol and 15 cent per litre of diesel that was introduced in March. But even since then, there's been sharp increases in global fuel prices and the knock-on effect of that is that the government tax revenue from petrol and diesel has soared. An example given in the report was in June of this year, the government took 7% more per litre than they took in June of 2021. And that's an extra €27 million Euro just for the month of June. The Grant Thornton report found that considering these fuel price rises in tandem with the recent price rises in utilities on electricity and gas, for example, customers have been exposed to a significant increase in the cost of living. It suggested that in general, consumers really have no choice but to pay the higher price of fuel prices given the widespread nature of the traditional car ownership and the lack of viable alternatives currently available in uh, Ireland, which is exactly the point that Michael is making. And currently, 97% of all cars either run on petrol or diesel. There is only... 0.45%, 0.45%, less than half a percent of cars are fully electric at the moment. And the report found that while electric cars are becoming more attractive in the short and medium term, 
petrol and diesel vehicles will remain the main mode of transport on Irish roads. And the report identified the most at-risk group are lower-income rural dwellers, with this cohort being most sensitive to price increases in fuel. And I saw in an article in the paper commenting on that report, Michael Kilcoyne, who is the chairperson of the Consumer Association of Ireland, he said the unique challenges motorists face in rural Ireland are simply being forgotten about. He said there's no Lewis, there's no Dart available to anybody in rural Ireland. He said there's obviously no doubt in rural Ireland that they are the people who are worst affected by fuel costs. He says if you don't have a car, what happens? You get stuck at home, you can't go to work, you can't take your children uh, to school. And he says that the TDs from the rural constituencies don't seem to be saying this enough. He said people are seeing their incomes wiped out because of fuel and soaring rents. He says there's no rent control outside of the city and thousands of families are on the brink. And he says unless the government bring in a rent cap in rural areas, he said working people will, we will see more working people ending up homeless. And he said he himself as chairperson of the Consumer Association says he's hearing terrible stories of people in a crisis. And Kevin McPartland, who's the, and we've spoken with Kevin before, he's the chief executive of Fuels for Ireland. Now it was Fuels for Ireland, which is the industry body um, who commissioned this Grant Thornton report. He said the fi- findings very much underlie the limitations in the government's approach in taxing fuel. He said the study confirms that many, of, or many people have suspected uh, in showing that consumers generally have no choice whether the fuel goes up or down they have to purchase the fuel regardless of the uh, price and the report clearly shows that Ireland has one of the highest taxes and duties on diesel it's only France, Belgium and Italy were the only three countries where diesel was taxed more heavily Um, Kevin McPartland said that the government should immediately review fuel taxation to bring revenue back in line with expected uh, income and he he says whether that's through a reduction in VAT a reduction in excise duty or he says whether they uh, adopt a more dynamic approach to carbon tax rises he said the government must act urgently to reduce the burden on Irish motorists but as this report is showing it's Irish motorists in rural areas are the ones most affected and did we need a report to be told of that? Absolutely not. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie With the promise of some good warm weather with this is Doors high that we can't wait to reach us this week. Many families will be thinking heading to the beach for a nice family day out, especially now that the children are all out for the summer holidays. But be warned, all our beaches may not be as safe as we would like them to be. Crosshaven Fianna Fáil councillor Audrey Buckley joins me to discuss some worrying incidents that happened uh, recently. Good morning to Audrey. And good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, on. you're very welcome. Now, you've been contacted by two families who needed to take their children to the emergency department after a chip, trip to the beach. Tell me where and what happened. <clears throat> well, um, about two weeks ago, with the fine weather, um, actually, it's probably a couple. There was a couple of days in it. Um, we were back again to um, the amount of, uh, you know, busloads of teenagers, kids coming down, which we have no problem with. By the way, I'm not here to be supplying um, teenagers as I have them myself. But unfortunately, what comes with that, um, you know, on a nice day in that, um, a lot of drink um, gets taken. 
Um, now, the guards um, have recently been issued a book from Cork County Council for on-spot fining to try and get a bit of manners on all of this because it's just getting out of control. And, and look, Patricia, I've been on here. This is probably my third year on, on with you in regarding the antisocial behaviour at our beaches. So, but what's been happening now is um, the glass bottles that normally would be kind of broken at the men's pool here in Church Bay and Cross Avon. Um, unfortunately, the teenagers have been firing them to see who oh. can fire them the farthest and onto the main beach, which would be more of the family beach. So they're leaving behind broken glass. Oh, God, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's um, so much litter, a lot of towels and, and just a bit of everything, really. But previously, the glass would be kind of pertained to the, 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 the area where they were on the men's pool. But now what they're doing is they're actually firing the bottles across to see, I, I guess, to see who can throw it furthest. Um, and this is just so wrong on every level because Church Bay Beach is a, is a very stony beach, so it's just near impossible to see the glass. And um, I've seen a photograph of one of the children who had to go to CUH to get stitches. She's still on crutches, actually. Oh, and bless. you're talking a deep, deep cut. I mean, oh, God, yeah. You can just imagine walking across stones oh, in your bare feet God. and you stand on a piece of glass yeah. goes right up into your foot. It's yeah. just, just um, really, really, and our, if you're, our dog, anybody walking dogs need to be careful. It's for everybody. It's just very stupid what they're doing. Um, you know, I fought very hard to get the public toilets and bins to the beaches for the summer months, and, and I'm delighted Cork County Council are assisting with that. So they're there. The bins and that are there in the toilets. I don't understand why they're urinating on the roads here where they're not using the bins. Um, they're just kind of ruining it. A few are ruining it for many of them having a nice day out. Are people starting to avoid air, certain beaches because of it? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I wouldn't go down, or my kids, a lot of um, younger kids, because the men's pool is a grave when we were growing up, like you can dive off the high rock, etc. But you wouldn't go near it with, with the kind of carry-on that's going down there. And it's quite dangerous. I'm actually surprised that nobody's been really seriously hurt yes, you know. Um, but I am delighted to see that the on-spot fine books now has come into play because I do think mum and dad, when they're sitting at home, will finally be responsible for their teenagers. Because, yeah, you're, you, what, what are we talking, 15, 16, 17-year-olds? Yeah. 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 Uh, but are mum and dad aware of what they're getting up to? Obviously not, look, because, I mean, there was one girl... Um, <laughs> It was a busy, so the kids were moved on by the guards. Um, apparently, there was word about two Fridays ago after the junior search, so a few Cork schools um, had organised on social media their party in Church Bay Beach. So it was all over social media, hundreds of kids around. The guards were informed of it, so they were there and fair play, and they were ready, and they moved them on. Um, so they ended up at another beach in San Jose um, where there was a lot of antisocial behaviour there. We think there was arrests and things like that. So a lot of these kids are, are good kids, but some of them, like one girl now, it was about seven o'clock in the evening and she just, on the road, she just pulled her pants down and just started urinating. Yeah, you know, when yeah. I said to her, what are you doing? There's two toilets just down the road here and I would do no respect for yourself. So she basically just told me to f off. And was that, she you know? under the? Was she? Was she have one too many? 
Oh, probably, because yeah. I don't think you would do something like that. And I mean, when, you say the Gardaí, that. when you say the Gardaí move them on, do they confiscate the drink? I mean, a 15-year-old... Yeah. Oh, they do. Oh, they There's do. like okay. three or four hundred bottles confiscated. That's only what they got. Three or four hundred? Yeah, apparently, yeah. See, a lot of Corona bottles you'd see and things like that, um, and that's very unfortunate. Now, I will say as well, I have been on, I've emailed Eamon Ryan because I don't agree with him not including glass bottles in the reverse spending machine in the, de- the deposit return scheme. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time coming. We've been waiting at Tidy Towners, like myself, who's been waiting for years for this scheme to come on board. Um, I don't know what the hold-up is, but I was told it was only aluminum and plastic, um, not glass. And most other countries would have class would be also returnable. Yeah, but the, yeah, but and but leaving glass behind on a beach is and broken it, glass know? is yeah. just yeah. A rock, so. On a rocky beach. So so your your message to parents when they when little Johnny and Mary are deciding to go for a day to the beach, please be mindful of what they have a chat with them, what they might be getting up to. Yeah, and and you're also saying that they leave towels and things behind. Oh God, yeah. I, I'm just thinking as a teenager when we'd have gone to the to the beach, um, and you you would be, you'd be if you came home without the towel, there'd be a question mark. Do people, do parents not check about what parents, kids went with and what they come back with? I think we're such a disposable society now. Look, you very cheap brands around. Um, so I just think kids nowadays aren't like how we were. Um, but I think if your child is coming down to the beach in the afternoon and not coming home till late in the evening, then a red flag, you know, and parents should be saying, talking to their kids and saying, look, but that's why I think maybe the on-spot fines might be the way to go um, because the Cork County Council gives the book a ticket to the guardie. The guardie hand out the tickets no matter what age you are. And then um, Cork County Council are the ones responsible for getting the, the fines from, from the person. How much are the fines? <clears throat> I think at the moment it's €30, Euros, but I don't know if that's going up. I know Cork City Council, I think, recently have put theirs up to 75 which yeah. says it's the same carry-on. Yeah, mommy and daddy won't be happy if a fine comes through the door and it has to be uh, paid. And what about the Gardaí, Audrey? I know they're doing the, the best that they can. Yes, are they yes. are they committed to extra resources f- during the summer months? I mean, uh, we've got this yes. wonderful week weather-wise, please God, this week. And that's going to mean you are going to have more people heading to, to the beaches and heading to, you know, the many beautiful beaches that you have in your area. Yeah. And, and and absolutely, and we want people to come and enjoy the beaches in our area. I'd love to go to the beach myself and enjoy the area. We're um, very fortunate. Um, Superintendent um, John DC has uh, has proven, uh, you know, himself this summer, and uh, um, like he got word about the parties and stuff for Church Bay. He had three squad cars. He had a van. I mean, he was ready for it. Um, so I definitely see a difference. But I we're still looking for. Um, full-time community policing at Crosshaven empty guard station. You know, if we could have them for four months, you know, we've Cork Week coming up now um, next weekend. Mm. So we hope to see more guarded resources just in the area. And all we want is them to be walking the area. It's a deterrent. Visibility. Visibility. That's all you you need. You do. All right. Okay. Listen, Audrey, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Okay. And uh, bye-bye. And to, to parents, just be careful when you're 
bringing your 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 smallies to the beach to get them to keep an eye out and maybe just have have little shoes on them all that I'm walking around the beach because of the worry that there could be broken glass either on the stones or in the sand. 0818 103 103. There was a text in, it came in at the start of the programme, if I can find it, to do with the Elton John uh, concert. I was talking with Ken, who was at the Elton John concert and did the warm-up gig at Tequila Jacks. And by all accounts, it was just a fabulous, fabulous uh, concert. Uh, and I would just, I would love to have been there. It was one of those concerts I was envious of all evening of watching what's coming up on social media and Elton John seemed to be playing to blinder and he did seem to be a bit emotional as he was signing off at the end and I, and I loved his his sign off uh, was um, be kind to everyone love each other I wish you health happiness prosperity and I'll say goodnight <laughs> and off the man went anyway listener says Hi, Patricia, with regards to the Elton John concert by the way he was absolutely fantastic says this texture but a lot of issues need to be addressed within Porky Queef long walks down and back out of there. Long queues for drinks when you were inside in the stadium. Long queues for food and the toilets, especially in the standing section. I've actually been turned off going there because of these issues. Something needs to change for next year. Shuttle buses, for example, to take people up and down to Porky Queef have plenty of staff working so you won't have all of those long queues for food and drink and please 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 could you have plenty of toilets available and more exits when leaving the stadium for example we were all leaving one exit from the stadium in the standing area and that obviously slowed slowed down uh, people exiting i did see people take to twitter certainly during the concert about the queues and i saw photographs of the queues for trying to get in to get a drink. I think somebody said they were, they were queuing for an hour and a half to get a couple of pints, which is, seems like an excessively long time. And I mean, Porky Cueve, by its very nature, is built for big crowds. Now, I suppose, I don't know how much over the crowd would have been at Elton John as opposed to when there's a big match on there. But certainly people were not happy by the queues. And then there was another problem that happened previous to the gig starting and that was to do with uh, fans who were queuing up to get a bus at Laps Quay, a bus that never showed up. Concert goers seemingly were left between 45 and 55 uh, minutes waiting. Now we ha- And we had been mentioning that there was to be a service running from Laps Quay every tw- 20 minutes and it was to run between five and half past eight. But people were kind of standing around for the bones of an hour and realised that this bus isn't coming. So they all uh, started to make alternative arrangements to get to the stadium. Now, seemingly bus Aaron came out and said that there was never a service planned to operate via Labs uh, Key and that they were very disappointed on behalf of their customers about the miscommunication by a third party. The third party being... For all Aiken Promotions who put on the concert, they then issued an apology saying that the information that they had provided was provided in good faith and they say any information was provided in good faith and we apologise for any inc- inconvenience so there was a, a miscommunication somewhere along the, the line in Aiken thought the bus there and were putting on this bus to get people to and from uh, Porky Creek but that did not happen and there was a lot of people uh, discommoded and discombobulated over that on Friday evening 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Staying on the Elton John concert, a listener says, what exactly did Elton John's whistle-stop tour of Cork do for our economy? Apart from lining his own pocket, he didn't even stay over. He flew in and out in a day. Well, a concert of the scale of Elton John brings a lot of money to the economy. Okay, Elton John himself might have stayed over and spent any money, but think of all of the people who would have been working at the concert, all of the people who would have been working in the run-up to organising the concert and getting the stadium ready, all of the people in the clean-up afterwards. A lot of people employed directly in that concert and many of those would have been people local to court. Then you think of all of the people who came to Cork for the Elton John concert. It wasn't just Cork people that attended. So there would have been hotels and B&Bs would have been fully booked out. As soon as people got tickets, they would have been online uh, booking hotels and B&Bs and Airbnbs. Then you would have had the restaurants and the bars before the concert, after the concert, all teeming with people, all on a high because they were going or just coming from an Elton John uh, concert. And then you'll also, you will hear many people, particularly when a concert happens on a Friday night, people from outside of the Cork area would come, stay Friday night and uh, might have got a deal in the hotel to stay Saturday night so they would be around town on Saturday as well. So there's, I mean, I don't have the exact figures of what the of what the business people in Cork would have expected that concert to uh, generate. But every time concerts like that get mentioned, the business community, particularly the hospitality sector, all thrilled. They all have to employ extra staff because they know how busy. So while the, the... the good man himself, Sir Elton John, mightn't have physically spent any money out of his own pocket. Believe me, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money brought into the economy for many of those gigs. It would have been the same when uh, Ed Sheeran came to town and obviously all of the fantastic Live at the Marquee gigs that we had. It's a big, big plus to the local economy. 0818 And then an interesting text in here pitched at people in the farming community. Interested in your thoughts on this. Hi Patricia, I'm married to a farmer. My husband has spent thousands of euro upgrading the milking parlour, new machinery, reseeding, etc. Numerous siblings all of them, and none of them, are, from what I can gather from this text, it's only this listener's husband is working on the farm, but, they've, he, but he has numerous siblings who all feel that they're entitled to something, i.e. either land or money, as he has now taken over the farm. I work myself and I feel they are not entitled to anything from my husband. Surely it's between the siblings and their parents and shouldn't have anything to do with my husband, who's now officially taken over the running of the farm. I'm wondering what do others think? And I'm sure others have come into have would, are in the same situation. So I assume from this that your husband's, the parents who originally owned the farm, have signed the farm over to him because he's the last man standing or the only man standing and the only one of the siblings who want to work the farm. So in a situation like that, are the other, how, how does that work out in other families? Do the other, are the other in siblings entitled to something? Those who haven't worked on the land and who obviously went off and did their own thing and, you know, I don't know whether they got an education and went off and have, have other careers, but they're working outside of uh, the farm. I mean, it goes back to how many arguments have we had 
in this country when it comes to land. I mean, John B. Keane's the field and the argument over a patch of land. And uh, sadly, we have seen people die because of arguments over a patch of land uh, all too, all too often. But is it between the siblings and the parents? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they, the parents have decided for whatever reason that the son who's working the land is the one who's now taken over the farm so I'm assuming it's been signed over that's a decision that the parents make and they shouldn't be bullied into making a decision and they and their children shouldn't ha- shouldn't be entitled to anything it's their decision I mean that's that's even I mean I'm right in thinking that's even across all families that's not just in the farming community I mean if you've got parents who've got money or a house or whatever that they want to leave what they put in the will is their decision you know as long as it's a fair decision and to me that sounds like a fair decision if you're saying that one son has remained and has worked the farm and is the one that's put all the money into into the upgrade and maintaining the farm and working the farm and obviously getting his livelihood from it and he sounds like he's put a lot of money into upgrading uh, the farm and on that basis alone I would be assuming I can't see how the siblings should feel that your husband now who's now running the farm how he owes them uh, anything anyway let's give it out there to other farm families who no doubt have been in similar situations themselves uh, we welcome your thoughts some of your texts coming into the programme on the cost of living hi Patricia we have no one to blame but ourselves for putting the same TD, TDs in the whole time I'm sick of looking at them on the TV trying to defend themselves about the cost of living crisis that the rest of us are living through but not any of the TDs going hungry or cold they all look amazing million dollars when they appear on the t- TV and by the way the pay they receive themselves is scandalous it's like the lorry lad says sure we're worth it and that's what I feel they say every time that they come on the TV and hi Patricia listening to you talk about the cost of living at the top of the programme in rural Ireland particularly regarding fuel costs unfortunately the government will do nothing about it they seem to just keep throwing money at social welfare and childcare costs I just give up um, and a number of people saying what are they going to do about the people who go out to work there never seems to be any help for them well we do know that the summer economic statement is going to be unveiled today and we're told that it will uh, the government are going to be able to double the room for manoeuvre than they had over last year's budget and that's because the amount of money that's going through in taxation so it's we're, what we're expecting today is a counter inflation package this year that will run at at least 1.5 billion and they're going to split that 1.5 billion two to one in favour of extra state spending to aid families over tax reductions and the elimination of charges. So a billion of the money is going to be used to increase social welfare payments along with the public sector's pay bill and the built-in commitments there. And then half a billion of it will be done through lower taxes, the abolition of charges and putting up the thresholds uh, for when people pay uh, tax. And I know at the weekend Simon Coveney was confirming that one of the things that they're talking about doing 
is an awesome bonus social welfare payment. You know, at Christmas, people on social welfare get the double, the Christmas bonus that we always talk about. And for weeks, we'll have people ringing in saying, when is the Christmas bonus going to be paid out? Well, what they're now saying that they're going to do and whether it will it'll be part of this summer economic uh, statement, they, they, uh, there will be an awesome bonus social welfare payment. So I'm assuming sometime maybe in September, a double week will be paid out on top of, because somebody was saying, is that going to replace the Christmas bonus? And it won't. The Christmas bonus will still be there, but in sometime in the autumn, probably around September, they'll pay out a double bone, a double week's uh, social welfare as well. And of course, as we heard last week, uh, they're also very much um, saying that they're going to give another €200 Euro credit on energy bills. That means everyone on the electricity, no matter who you get your electricity from. Or no matter what income is coming into the house, it's a universal payment. Everyone will get another €200 Euro off their electricity bills and that's what's been uh, looked at. Now, I know when people hear a billion of it is going to be spent on social welfare and along with the public sector pay bill, that again are going to have people saying, what about the squeeze middle? What about the people who go out to work? Uh, they never seem to, cut, to get a break. There will be something done on taxes. Exactly what? We'll have to wait and see. 0818103103. John Paul taking your uh, calls. You can text WhatsApp to 0862103103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Before I get to your comments coming in on various issues we're discussing today, there's a couple of other issues that have come in. One over the phone from John in the city, and this was to do with a wheelie bin being placed over the head of the Father Matthew statue at the weekend. John says, a wheelie bin was put over the statue of Father Matthew at the top of Patrick Street. It happened on Saturday night into Sunday morning. But John's question is, why was something not done about that immediately? Because there are CCTV cameras placed around the city. Are they not supposed to be monitored 24-7? At the end of the day, it's a public order offence. Why was not nothing done? Because it would have been spotted on the uh, camera. Well, yeah, yeah if it spotted on the camera, they'd be able to, I, I take it, can they clearly identify who actually was involved with the public order offence? And would you call it antisocial uh, behaviour. Brave person to get up onto the Father Matthew statue with a, a wheelie bin. Those wheelie bins are, are big and they're heavy even when they're empty. Uh, they are uh, heavy. Maybe the Gardaí are going to press charges. Uh, who knows? Uh, but John reckons it should have been straight away. Somebody should have been out, should have seen what was going on and it uh, should have been stopped there and uh, then. And then an email in from David to say, hi Patricia, I wonder if there's anyone in an official capacity please that could explain the illogical speed limits on the three lane road between Bandon and Inishannon. The three lane stretch has a speed limit of 60 kilometres and then when the road goes into two lanes on the twisty bits up to the Bandon River Bridge Nuns Corner isn't that what that's referred to the speed limit increases to 100 kilometres per hour despite the flashing light warning warning motorists to slow down immediately just before the speed limit increases hardly any drivers observe the lower speed limit and if a camera van was stationed at the abandoned end of those three lanes they'd catch enough drivers to pay for Eamon Ryan's pension they're missing out on a revenue earning stunt there for sure kind regards and that's from uh, David now there is 
the John Paul tells me that that 60 kilometre bit that David is talking about, the three lane uh, stretch that leads into the two lanes just before the, the twisty bends at, at the Bandon River, that's a temporary speed limit. And it's been in place for about a year because uh, there's roadworks going on in that area. But no roadworks go on at the weekend. And many people, certainly local people who travel that road a lot, feel that the 60 kilometres is not needed, especially at the weekend when there's no roadworks going on. We're getting on to the council about it. It has come up on the programme before. We have had people complain about it before. But we'll get on to the council about when they're going to lift that 60 kilometre speed at limit. And could it even be lifted at the weekends? Because it's the weekends those roads are even busier than they are during the week and we're into the summer season and with the nice weather this week you'll have a lot of people heading west uh, to go away and and have a nice day at the beach or or to spend uh, time down in West Cork so uh, you'll get a lot of people caught with that uh, as well I don't know if I'd be advocating for putting a speed camera in there just so we can catch people and make some money for the exchequer but listen we'll get on to the council and we'll see have they even a date on when they expect that 60 kilometre limit that temporary speed limit to be lifted because John Paul reckons it's been in place for about a year now. 0818 103 103. Now, a number of people have commented on the text that came in earlier from a listener. Let me just recap and remind you of the text that came in. It is from one of our listeners who's married to a farmer. The, her husband, the farmer, has spent thousands upon thousands of euro upgrading the milking parlour and the machinery and reseeding and everything that's needed for a working farm and to bring a working farm up to a modern day, day standards. Numerous of his siblings all feel that they're entitled to something, either some of the land or some of the money, as he's now taken over the farm. Now, the listener says that she works herself, but she feels that they're not entitled to anything from my husband and that surely it's between the siblings and their parents and that her husband, who's the farmer, who's now taken over the running of the farm, that he shouldn't have to be paying out anything to his siblings because it's nothing to do with him, that if they've got a disagreement or a dispute, it should be with the uh, parents. Just some people in straight away on that. God help that uh, farmer sibling resentments can last for years that came in from uh, Rose Hi Patricia that listener tell that listener whose husband is a farmer and the siblings looking for their entitlement the best thing he can do is go and get some legal advice on it some of your calls in Doni said the siblings will be entitled to something but it all depends on the will if her husband got everything then they're entitled to nothing if the will says it should be split between the siblings then they are entitled to something but if there's no will then that causes a whole lot of problems as the siblings then can put in their claim Isabella's also asking was there a will if not it can become a very intense and messy legal, legal battle and someone said are the parents alive and I'm assuming from the text that the parents are alive because the listener says that the siblings should take it up with the parents so I'm assuming that they are because this listener is saying if the parents are alive or even one of them is alive then it's still in the parents name and it's the parents they should have to deal with but if the farm is signed over to the one remaining child who's decided to work the land then it is his however when a parent dies it become can become very problematic and if there is a home place it's separate from the farm it causes all kinds of problems and it has created problems in the past god knows and it will create them into the future michael then says patricia the this idea that you're entitled to something really gets me going especially when it comes to land a landowner is entitled to do what he likes with his property while he is still alive if it is his to do 
it, he, he owns it, so it's his to do as he wishes. Staying on, working in a place, doesn't give you a right to it. Now, if somebody died without deciding anything about the property, then nine out of ten times it'll be sold or the debt's paid off and the remainder of the state then gets divided equally amongst the next of uh, kin. And I don't know if I 100% agree with you, Michael, when you say the point that staying on, staying on and working the place doesn't give you a right to it. No, no, obviously it's, it's up to the older farmers to the, the the parents to decide uh, whether they leave the land or whether they give the farm to the one remaining son who decided to stay on and work. But I hand on heart, if you've got two or three children raised on a farm and two decide to fly the nest and, you know, maybe get a good education and maybe get got a good education paid for by the parents and they go off and they do their own thing and they take on their own professions and their own careers and, you know, they raise their own family and one remains, one child remains, be that male or female, and they run and they work the farm. I, I do think that they have a right over the children whose own decision was not to stay on at the farm. Now, it doesn't always work that way. And we've seen court cases whereby a, a, a predominantly a son, but it can happen to daughters as well. Somebody has remained and has worked the farm their entire life. It is their only career. And then when the parent dies, they discover that the farm has been left or has been divided and they have to sell it off. And then the farm isn't viable. And I always think, though, and those cases have, end up, uh, have ended up in court. I always feel it's really, really unfair on the one who made the decision that this would be their career and this would be uh, their uh, life. But ultimately, a judge can decide differently and they, they do end up in uh, court. Thank you for your text, Michael, to 0862103103. And then I mentioned the, uh, what's it called, the Summer Economic Statement there's been a couple of people in on that and the summary economic statement is going to be unveiled today and we're expecting 1.5 billion will be in the package, counterinflation uh, package and it'll be split two to one in favour of extra state spending to aid families over tax uh, reductions. Uh, in the main, a, a billion will be used to increase things like uh, social welfare payments along with the public sector pay bill and other commitments that the government will have. Everyone's not happy about the notion when I mentioned that Mike Simon Coveney, the Minister for Foreign Affairs at the weekend, that confirmed that an autumn bonus social welfare payment was possible, whereby, like the Christmas payment, where they get an extra week's payment at Christmas on their social welfare, all social welfare recipients now, it looks like, are going to get a double week in the autumn as well as the uh, Christmas one. A Kerry listener says, Patricia, the government proposing to increase social welfare payments, well, that is very welcome. Very welcomed. This proposed lump sum fuel allowance payment, I feel, is too restrictive. Only a handful of people qualify for the fuel allowance. Why? Because it's means tested. Surely broadening the eligibility for this payment is what should be done. Many elderly people who need this fuel allowance don't qualify for it because of a very restrictive means test eligibility rules and they are the very ones that need to keep warm this winter. So allow the fuel allowance to be given to more people than 
that is currently given to her. And I know we were hoping to speak with a young mum, but she just uh, doesn't seem to be available. Maybe she's tied up with her child. She's a little special needs son. She's a full-time carer. And she's started a campaign to look for carers to get the fuel allowance because not all carers are entitled to the fuel allowance. It is that means testing is very, very restrictive when it comes to the fuel allowance. I think the figure is that 370,000 people get the fuel allowance, but there's a lot of other people who live on social welfare and don't qualify for it. Martin then says in West Cork, says, Hi Patricia, I hear of this summer economic statement. What nonsense. Surely there's another way to financially run a country. We are not thick. We are not dummies. The definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and getting the same result, which Martin feels is what's happening at the mo- at the moment. Uh, the government needs to think of another way of dealing with the, the constant rises in inflation. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. People on social welfare getting more money, says this texter is madness. I work, I pay tax and I have very little at the end of the week. Why do people on social welfare constantly get handouts? This country has got it all wrong. Get me out of here, says a texter. One of those, the, the squeezed middle that Leo Varadkar, in fairness, is always going on about. And we will await in the summit economic statement as to what will be done and if they're going to do anything for those people who do get up early and go to work every day and are not entitled to any social welfare benefits. So therefore, when there's increases in social welfare, it doesn't help somebody who is out at work every day. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Bally has child care facility are hiring early years educators it's for full time and term time positions email cvs please with two written references to and send them to asbh at gmail.com or you can post to Ballinhasic Child Care Facility Cecilstown for the attention of Cathy Lunigan. A grounds worker is wanted to work in East Cork. You must have five years experience working on a civil site. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com or call 087 a Longueville House in Mallow, they've got a vacancy for a part-time bookkeeper. CVs to info at longevillehouse.com. And Raymond O'Neill Insurance there in Bandon have a vacancy for a personal lines advisor. Email your CV to billy at one insurance dot, sorry, email to billy at o'neillinsurance.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Climate scientists at University College Cork have concluded that a quarter of all the electricity needed by Irish householders could be produced by putting solar panels on domestic rooftops. To discuss the UCC study, I'm joined by one of the co-authors and that's Dr Paul Dean. Good morning to you Paul. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now when we think of solar panels Paul, we think of sunny weather. Now we don't live in the sunniest of locations but what did your study find? 
Yeah, exactly, Patricia. That's right. You know, and I suppose many listeners might be kind of confused a little by this. You know, Ireland isn't known for its sun. We're probably a lot known for our, our wind and our waves. But actually, what we found with this study, Patricia, is that um, using satellite data, we counted all the roof space available in Ireland. Now we excluded things like like sheds and farming buildings and and outhouses and things like this. So we looked at dwells, uh, dwellings where people live, and we found that with the roof capacity available, that using existing solar technology. Now solar technology is it does actually need sunlight, but actually in Ireland. We, we could we could generate enough electricity between the month of April and October to meet about forty percent of a regular family's needs. And you know when you bring that back in into what we're seeing with electricity prices at the moment, with with sky high uh, inflation, that would that would save a typical family in in Cork about uh, four hundred euros a year, which is significant. So even though Ireland isn't very sunny, four hundred euros is still a lot of money. Abs- and that's a, absolutely. That's a nice how, how many panels would we need on our roof? Yeah, so something between six and ten. So if you're walking around town or walking around Cork this morning, you know, look up in neighbours' houses, you might even have them on your own. Um, six panels are relatively small. Um, most houses will not need planning permission for something up to six panels, uh, about 10 square metres, if you're familiar with uh, with square metres. So, yeah. so not a huge amount of solar panels, really, but the beauty of this is that it generates electricity when the sun is shining and directly. Now, obviously at night time and in the winter months, particularly in the dark winter months, you're not going to generate um, uh, very much electricity at all. So the trick really to getting the most out of solar panels, if you have them on your roof, is changing your behaviour a little bit. You know, if it's, it's, it's sunny here, I'm down in Clannacilty now today, the sun is shining, thanks be to God. You know, it's, if it's sunny in the afternoon, put on your dishwasher in the afternoon, maybe put on the washing machine, you know, adjust appliances around a little bit. And also then what's really handy about the, when you generate uh, electricity from solar panels, if you're not using it at the time, you can actually store it in the form of hot water. So most Irish homes, particularly in Cork, where we don't have a lot of gas heating outside of the city, but have very large water cylinders. Mm. So you can heat up your water um, uh, using sunlight and then you can use that for your showers. And your showers, actually, the appliance that probably uses the most money over the course of the year in terms of heating water so you save money in many aspects from from using sunlight in Ireland yeah and I mean I've just I mentioned at the start of the program Met Aaron are expecting this Azores high to come up to us over the country and we're expecting some nice some really good weather from midweek on and it could even go into the following week so I mean we do every now and again get some really good warm weather we do yeah, and that's an important point, Trisha. Like, and, and actually, when we looked at it over the course of a year, so we looked at it from, from January to December, you know, typically, again, in January, February, you don't generate a lot of electricity. And in November and December, you're not going to be generating a lot of electricity. But for about eight months of the year, actually, you're generating kind of meaningful amounts. And uh, and again, it comes back to, I suppose, two things that have happened in the last couple of years, Patricia, that has made this technology kind of work and maybe the results surprising in many ways. Uh, the cost of solar panels has come down dramatically in, in the last uh, in the last five years. And of course, unfortunately, as we're all aware, many listeners will be aware, the cost of electricity has also gone up dramatically. So actually, even though we're not very, even though it's not very sunny, over those eight months, there's enough to generate just under half, roughly about 40% of your annual electricity needs from sunlight alone. And then if you can, anything you can top up with your, with your hot water tank, or even if you're lucky to have an electric car, you know, you're essentially getting almost free petrol in for yeah, your electric yeah, car using yeah, the sunlight. Yeah, I think you're, you're certainly selling as well. And I'm interested to hear you say that the cost of solar panels has come down, because that was going to be my next question. How costly would this be for a householder to put in those between six and ten panels? Yeah, so nothing is free, even though the fuel is free, you still have to pay a lot for the cost. So the cost to a, to a household, now there's a grant available 
from the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. And if anyone's interested, just pop online to seai.ie. The government will give you about 2,000 to 2,400 euros uh, to install. They'll give you kind of cash uh, up front. The cost to the householder then, Patricia, is between 3,500 to 4,000 euros. So there's still a significant outlay there. You know, um, if you have that money available, it's a really good investment at the moment. But of course, the challenge is then for many people who don't have that money available. And one of the, one of the things that we're advocating from the study is that the government should really be looking to 100% grant fund these solar panels for people who can't afford it. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the measures that the government took you know, a few months ago when they gave everyone €200, Euros, uh, giving people, particularly families who are struggling with electricity bills and with, with you know, maybe her receipts in fuel allowances, by giving them solar panels, you're giving them €400 Euros off their electricity bill Every year. year. But yeah, every year every for year. the next 25 years. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that's where the... Uh, and at the same time, you're providing employment, you know, for... for you know, if, I, if there is one bottleneck and one catch for this study, the big challenge really is 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 get is the employment issue. Getting tradespeople, getting electricians, plumbers, carpenters is just so difficult at the moment. So there's actually there's not a shortage of solar panels. There's not a shortage of ideas. There's actually a shortage of people to install them for you. And and that's uh, that's, that's really frustrating. That we need that's, to and that's yeah. frustrating for families that that do want to put them in because only last Friday on the program I mentioned this new scheme entitling homeowners to be paid for any surplus energy yeah. solar energy. So that's another plus. It is no. You're not going to become a millionaire out of that. And you're, not, you're not going to become rich out of that. Look, you'll probably make fifty to hundred euros a year out of that. But we would really strongly encourage people. See, if you if you generate extra electricity and you sell it off to the grid, they might buy it off you for ten cent or thirteen cent. It's what some utilities. But then they'll sell it back to you for thirty cent. So what we would recommend people to do is just. Um, yeah, if you're getting solar panels installed to generate electricity, there's a small little switch that the installer can put in that just diverts any surplus that you are not using into your hot water tank. And then you can use that hot water throughout the day for your showers, for washing dishes, for whatever. Uh, and that's a much better return in your investment um, because you're not selling cheap electricity to the grid and buying it back later uh, uh, expensive. You know, other people then, Patricia, will look at things like batteries, but batteries are very expensive at the moment. Um, so what we will be getting, we're trying to encourage people to think about is just small systems, size it to your needs, use as much electricity as you can, eat your hot water, charge your car, change your appliances, and whatever bit you left over then, give it to the grid, but you're only going to make 50 to 100 euros. Yeah, you won't, you know, yeah you're, not, you're not going to make a, a huge uh, amount. And when you were doing your aerial survey, trying to find out you know, how many uh, roofs were available, did you notice, are there currently a lot of solar panels? Are, are they becoming, I, I certainly know just anecdotally driving around, I, I'm seeing them a lot more. Yeah, there's about 24,000 families, Patricia, at the moment who have installed solar panels uh, in Ireland at the moment. Now, I suppose a lot of people would have installed solar panels for the last number of years kind of on environmental grounds, but actually the economic case now for solar energy is just very compelling and very clear in Ireland at the moment because if you have solar panels on your roof, you're you're making your own electricity and it's probably costing you over the lifetime, it's probably costing you about nine cents to generate each unit of electricity over the lifetime of the panels. And sure, electricity prices at the moment are 28, 29 cents, you know, they probably go higher. So you're generating low cost electricity, you're generating at a price that's not, that has no volatility attached to it. And you're generating from, from a fuel that falls free from the sky onto your roof. Mm. It's a, it, is a, it is a win-win. You said you excluded the sheds and the farm buildings, but for farm families, if they had the money, isn't it, isn't it worth farm families investing? Because they have a lot of, far, particularly ones that have a, a lot of big farm buildings and sheds. 
Exactly, Patricia. And this is the other thing that we spoke with this study. We initially looked at the residential sector, but later on we hope to be looking at uh, uh, at farming buildings as well. And as you said, and particularly, you know, there's huge potential there from farm sheds. Now, farmers would just have to be careful that the sheds are structurally sound, you know, and make sure they comply with planning, etc. But like if you're a dairy farmer or at the moment and you're heating water, uh, you know, a really cheap way to do it now is by solar PV um, um, you know that electricity is cheap it's sustainable um, and, and it's something that offers huge potential right around the country you know Ireland is is a country that's still massively reliant on fossil fuels about 87% of all our energy Patricia still comes from fossil fuels and even when you think about how, how Ireland is so windy and sunny and our potential to grow energy we're still spending about a million euros every hour in Ireland importing oil gas and coal crazy. in this country and that's uh, and it's crazy when, when, we, when we can generate so much of it our, ourselves and obviously if we were generating most more of it ourselves be it by the solar panels that you're talking about or by wind uh, energy it would help us to to meet our renewable energy targets wouldn't it of course massively you know because it doesn't cause any pollution and you know the other of course the natural benefits in as well you know you're not subject to the geopolitical events and wars you know okay mm-hmm. the weather changes from from day to day year to year etc but you know we know we can deal we can deal with that and also there's huge employment issues here uh, opportunities as well patricia you know because we import so much of our energy from other countries we have so little people working in in the energy sector here in our here in ireland so the final thing then that we'd be encouraging the government and people to think about is just getting people into trades. You know, we probably produce too many programmers in Ireland and not enough plumbers, not enough carpenters, uh, not enough skilled tradespeople. These are good jobs. These are meaningful jobs, you know, and these are jobs that will that are needed to deliver a, a cleaner future. It's one of the things we constantly hear here on the programme, Paul, is people looking to get a plumber or an electrician. It's just... And it's particularly if it's a small job. God, it's yeah. just so, it, it really is uh, frustrating. Listen, this is a fantastic study. Well done to everybody concerned at UCC on it and SEAI.ie for the grant side of it if anybody is interested in having solar pa- panels put into their house. Thank you for that. Enjoyed our chat. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Dr. Paul Dean, who was one of the co-authors of that UCC uh, study. They're a group of climate scientists at University College Cork. And just on the whole issue of the cost of fuel and rising fuel costs, there was a text that came in uh, from Anne and who starts her text with her motto. She said, my motto is... Praise a bridge when you pass it. And I have to say that that is not a saying I've ever heard before. So pass, praise a bridge when you pass it. Anne says, over the weekend, there was a country music festival at the Old Walls in Liscarroll, which, by the way, says Anne, was a great success. So that was the occasion that Anne went to the Old Walls in Liscarroll to this country music f- festival. But when she was in Liscarroll, she noticed that Brosnan Oil in Liscarroll did a promotion and they dropped the price of their diesel for at their 24-hour pump. She says, can I emphasise, they dropped the price they didn't raise it like so many other businesses would do. I think Brosnan Oil should be admired and respected for doing this because obviously there was a lot of people came to Liscarroll for this country music festival at the weekend. So Anne says we need to praise Brosnan Oil. Businesses like this should be admired, respected and supported and called out for not putting up the price because they had a captive audience and a lot of people in the area. But instead they reduced the price. So well done and take a bow to everybody at Brosnan Oil in Liscarroll. 0818 103. John Paul's taking your calls. I can already see uh, texts coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming. That's for the next hour. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 
Morning, Patricia. And let's start with Citizen Information yourself. Have you opened your doors? Or are you still providing your service by phone? Uh, we're still providing our service mainly by phone, but we also see people by appointment in the local centres. So we would ask that people ring us first, as it's not always possible to just walk in. For example, here in Fermoy, you can drop in, but I might already be with a client. So if you're travelling any distance, it's best to give us a phone call first. And as always, if someone needs a face-to-face appointment, we'll do our best to facilitate it. And our offices in Fermoy, Yall and Bantry are fully set up to meet people by appointment. Well done. OK, medical cards today. How do you entitled to a medical card? OK, so I suppose, first of all, anyone who's ordinarily resident in Ireland can apply for a medical card. And that just means that you're living in Ireland and you intend to live here for at least one year. And then to qualify for a medical card, your weekly income must be below a certain figure for your family size. Uh, cash income, savings, investments and property, apart from your own home, would all be taken into account in the means test. And for anyone then who doesn't qualify for a medical card on income grounds, they might be able to qualify for a GP visit card instead. So what's the main difference between a medical card and that GP visit card? Okay, so the medical card would cover your cost uh, of the visit to the doctor and it would also cover uh, any prescribed drugs and medicines. Now, there would be some prescription charges applying there, so one euro fifty per item for people under 70 or a euro per item for people over 70. It would also cover inpatient public hospital services, uh, outpatient services and all medical appliances. It covers some dental, optical and oral services. Uh, it covers maternity and infant care services. It would cover some personal and social uh, care services, so for example, public health nursing, uh, social work services and other community care services. It also covers short-term counselling for mild to moderate psychological difficulties using the counselling and primary care service. And there is a maternity cash grant of €10.16 on the birth of each child as well. Um, Whereas, that's quite a lot that the medical card covers, whereas the GP visit card just covers the cost of the visit to the GP. That one literally does what it says on the test. Yeah, and everything else then you have to pay for yourself. Now, uh, we know that for a medical card, it's means tested. Is it one set means test for everyone or does it differ depending on your age? Um, yeah, so there's two different means tests uh, for people under 70 years of age and then another one for people aged over 70 years of age. Now, the means test for over 70s is relatively generous and most people can meet the criteria for that. And that was because they tried to take the medical cards from 70 over 70-year-olds and they bucked like mad. So can you give us an example of how it works for the over 70s? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, it's um, the weekly gross income limit for the over 70s would be €550 per week for a single person or €1,050 for couples who are married or cohabitating or in a civil partnership. And then uh, savings and similar investments of €36,000 for a single person and £72,000 for a couple are disregarded. And then a notional rate of interest will be applied by the HSE to the balance of any savings. Um, 
or alternatively, the HC will apply the actual rate of interest if you provide an interest certificate from your bank. Um, now, the under 70s means that is a bit more complex as they allow some expenses such as mortgage or rent or home insurance and the cost of travelling to and from work. Um, but if anyone would like to work out if they meet the criteria, they can give us a call and an information officer can carry out a quick assessment over the phone for them. You, you can go through the figures with them. And then for, yeah. the, for, for people who may be over that income limit for a medical card, is there any help available for those people? Uh, yes, yeah, so if the if your income is above the limit, you might still be able to get a medical card if your circumstances uh, would result in financial hardship without one. Uh, that's sometimes referred to as a discretionary medical card. And the application process for the discretionary medical card would be the same as the means of medical card, but you should include a medical report detailing your family's medical expenses in your application. And we have these forms in our local centres if people need them. And George, is there anyone who's automatically entitled to a medical card without a means test? Uh, yes. The most common example we'd come across here in the Citizens Information Service would be um, people who have a child with a severe disability who they're getting domiciliary care allowance payment for. In that instance, the child is eligible for a medical card without any means test. And the other one would be if you're living in Ireland and your only source of income is from another EU country, then you're entitled to a medical card on EU regulations. Um, the kind of small bit of rules that go with that is that you must not be subject to PRSI in Ireland. So, for example, a pensioner from another EU country who's retired to Ireland and if their only source of income is their EU pension, they'd get one as well automatically. With okay. no means and they don't have to means test. If a person doesn't qualify then for a medical card or a GP visit card, and we've been talking about the squeezed middle uh, this morning, people who are out at work and feel like that they're not getting anything. Um, explain to us what's available for, for, for people like that when it comes to medical expenses. Okay, so uh, under the drugs payment scheme, um, a person and their family only have to pay a maximum of €80 Euros each month for any approved uh, prescribed drugs and medicines and certain appliances as well. Um, to qualify for the drugs payment scheme, very straightforward. You must just be living in Ireland and intend to live here for a minimum of one year. So be ordinarily resident again. And you just register online or by completing a paper application form. Um, now, after you register for the scheme, you'll get a plastic swipe card for each person that you've named on your registration form. And you just show that card whenever you go to collect your medication or appliances in the pharmacy. Um, part of that then, I suppose, the HSE Primary Care Reimbursement Service, they provide a full list of all the medicines and aids um, that are covered under the drugs payment scheme. And just so people are aware, like appliances coverage can include things like positive airway pressure machines, CPAP machines, or rental costs for oxygen. All right, that's for people who suffer from sleep um, apnea. Um, we we see a lot of people are beginning to fly abroad, and it can be quite stressful at the moment. People going on on holidays, uh, but people need to remember that unfortunately people do get sick when when they're away. Talk to me about that, about uh, go, going abroad, and there was the old fashioned E one eleven cars that we used to always talk about. Um, how that operates now. Yeah, so that's still there now. It's called the European Health Insurance Card or EHIC card. That allows you to access public health care in any other EU or EA state for free or at a reduced rate. Um, so you can use it when you're traveling abroad or when you're staying temporarily in another EU state. You can apply for that one as well, either by registering online or by filling out a paper application form. Um, 
and just kind of briefly go over what it covers and doesn't cover. So what the EHIC card would cover would be free or reduced cost public health care in another EU or EA country. Um, it covers you for a temporary stay up to three months. It does cover pre-existing medical conditions. Um, it would cover routine maternity care as long as you're not going to the other country specifically to give birth. And it would also cover you if you're a student studying abroad and you'll be covered for up to one academic year in that situation. Um, now, what it doesn't cover, so it wouldn't cover private health care, so you'd have to make sure you're going to a public service. Um, it doesn't cover the cost to fly you back to Ireland. It doesn't cover any ongoing or permanent health care. And it doesn't cover medical expenses if your reason for going abroad was to have treatment yeah. in the first place. So so people who have the EHIC uh, card, would they have to pay for anything if they needed, if, God forbid, they ended up in hospital or they just needed to see a GP when abroad? Yeah, so it actually depends. So in some EU member states, you might have to pay some sort of payment towards the cost of the services you receive, just as people who live in that state do. Uh, you will not get a refund if you do have to pay anything extra and uh, private healthcare isn't covered. And again, people can ring us to check specifics on each country as well. And what if someone doesn't have one of these cards before they travel? Yeah, so if you don't have your card for any reason, you can apply to get a temporary replacement certificate from the HSC. And that certificate will give you the same entitlement as the card, but just for a shorter period. And you can apply online for that certificate on the HSC website or you can, we'll say, do the paper form as well, which we have here. At your, 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 your local health office. And I know a lot of people will be going to the UK to visit family and friends or to just go on holidays. Has Brexit changed any of this? Um, no. If you're an Irish citizen, you still have access to healthcare under the common travel area while you're visiting the UK. And I suppose then for other EU citizens who might be living in Ireland, they should continue to use their EHIC card if they go to the UK because that's still accepted there. Okay, and it is also worth reminding people who have been on a long, long waiting list as a public patient for treatment here in Ireland, there is treatment that you can get anywhere in the EU. Yeah, so there's actually two very good schemes so um, that could potentially help in that scenario. There's the cross-border directive and the treatment abroad scheme. So I suppose just to briefly cover that off, if you are a public healthcare patient and you require treatment that is not available to you here in Ireland, then you're able to apply for the treatment abroad scheme. Um, this would allow you to get medical treatment in another country in the EU or the EA or in Switzerland. And the, with that treatment abroad scheme, the medical treatment that you need must either be not available in Ireland or not available within the time normally necessary to get it in Ireland, taking into account your current health and the likely course of your condition or disease. Um, you don't directly refer yourself for the treatment abroad scheme. Only a public hospital consultant based in Ireland can refer you for the treatment abroad scheme. And GP, your local GP, cannot refer you for that either. Then the other scheme we'll say um, is the cross-border healthcare directive. So, again, once you're entitled to public healthcare services in Ireland, you can choose to access any other healthcare service in another member state of the EU or EEA. Um, you, with that one, you will be repaid the cost of the public healthcare treatment in Ireland or the cost of your treatment abroad, whichever will be less. Um, it doesn't include other costs such as travel. Um, Funding will only be reimbursed for healthcare that's publicly funded and available in Ireland. 
but the referral may be made to a public or a private healthcare service in the other country. You pay the cost of treatment and then apply for a refund from the HSE when you return to Ireland. Um, and then just to get that refund of cost that you've paid for the treatment, you and your healthcare provider abroad must complete a HSE cross-border directive pro forma invoice and then submit it uh, with the invoice from the healthcare provider and a receipt. And then the refund will only be made to the patient. Um, yeah, so that's the difference yeah. between the and, two. And that. that's the one that probably is most well known, particularly in West Cork with the cataract, the Belfast or Blind mm-hmm. bus that has been literally now it's gone into, I think it's gone into the thousands, the numbers that have gone up north to either get cataracts done or hip operations or knee operations. And it is it works really, really well. And, and you know, people who are going blind or people that are, are in pain, um, you know, they'll go anywhere to get sorted out. And that certainly works really, really well that cross-border healthcare d- uh, directive. George, as always, you've been a mind of information. Uh, can you just outline to people how you can be contacted at Citizen Information? Yeah, so if anybody needs more information, just uh, give our service a call or check out our website, citizensinformation.ie. Um, often it's best to give a ring and talk with one of our information officers because we'll be able to go through your situation and guide you in the right direction. Uh, and just to say, once again, the service is completely free and confidential. People can contact us in Fermoy on 0818 and we're happy to take calls at any time and offer information and advice. Thanks a million, George. We'll speak again. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you, George Ford, Information Officer with the Sat Munster Citizen Information Service covering North and East Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, we were speaking in the last hour with uh, George from Citizen Information giving advice about medical cards, GP visit cards and also the cross-border initiative and if you are travelling abroad even though the report's coming up from Dublin Airport today, God help anyone going to Dublin Airport uh, this morning, it seems to be massive queues all over the place, anyway that's beside the point but if you are travelling, you know the need to have the, your, the old E111 the European Health Insurance card how important it is to have that with you and a listener says, my son was in Germany recently and he had an accident and he used his European Health uh, Insurance card and this and said it was brilliant. It covered everything. It covered the ambulance that had to collect him after the accident, the medication that he required. He needed to get an MRI and he had to get x-rays. He ended up having to stay in hospital, all covered. Their consultant came to visit him. He had an appointment with the consultant, all done in a public hospital and it was all free of charge because he had his European Health Insurance card. It is so important to have that card with you because you go away on your trip you don't plan on having an accident but if God forbid you do and you're in a European country that's covered and you're covered under your European health insurance card it's only then that you realise the importance of it and actually I remember like back when it was known as the E111 card before they changed it over onto this little health card and this little credit card that you now get I remember we were over in um, Spain and Marcia got a really bad eye infection and I was trying to find at the time you know a private doctor which I would have paid through the nose for if you've ever been abroad and had to see a private doctor and then you've got to try and claim it back on your travel insurance and you never get the full amount back and all of that and luckily there was a rep 
that we were friendly with, one of the tour guide reps, and I happened to mention it to her. And she says, this isn't commonly known, but she said there's a hospital just up around the corner, a little public hospital up around the corner. She said, if you go in there, if you got your E111 card instead of do, she said, bring Marsh up there and you'll be fine. And we walked in the door of what looked like a very plush, private little clinic. And we went in. Now, the only problem was the language barrier, obviously. There wasn't anybody in there speaking English, but it was very obvious what was wrong with Marsha, that she had an eye infection. And we got, would you believe, to see an eye specialist. We were told to take a seat. Somebody came out to us with the number of the door we were to go to. So we went down. There was a, a, the Spanish eye specialist inside who took a look, handed us a piece of paper, which was Marsha's prescription. I duly went to the chemist and because I we had used the European Health Insurance Card, didn't even have to pay for the cream. And within two days, her eye infection was uh, sorted. So it's the only time I've ever had to use it. But yes, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, so um, good to know your son had it and hopefully he's fully recovered from his accident. And as I say, it's only when you get into a situation like that, serious enough for an accident, that you end up having to call an ambulance and a stay in hospital and an MRI and all of that. And, he, and it, it sounded like the treatment that he got, he sounded like he was in the right, he was certainly in the right uh, place at the right time. 0818103103. Other topics we've been discussing this morning, we were discussing, oh, before I get to the solar power, we've been discussing the cost of living. And I've been talking about what's happening with the government with the summer economic statements that's going to be unveiled today and how 1.5 billion is going to be announced under this counterinflation package and we already know it's going to be split two to one in favour of extra state spending to aid families. People on social welfare are going to benefit and the, the um, a billion of it is for social welfare and for the public sector pay bill and then a half a billion will go to lowering taxes but two to one in favour of uh, people who the government deem needed the most and that's led to some people then complaining why is it always people on social welfare that get the increases what about the squeeze middle what about the people that get up early every morning and go out to work there never seems to be any anything in there for the people who work Tom in Rathgormark uh, says listening to those comments that I've been relaying in from some of our listeners this morning he said it really makes me sick to hear people complain about those who are living on social welfare he said yes I accept there are dossers who are living on social welfare but they'll always be there they were there before this crisis happened and they'll be there long after when we get over this and inflation settles down and we get back to normal there'll always be people who will be abusing social welfare but they're they're a, mi- a tiny minority of the bulk of people who have to rely on social welfare and that is Tom's point for the majority of people especially the likes of old age pensioners who rely on social welfare they would have worked all of their lives says Tom they would have paid tax they would have paid the stamp they would have paid for everything that they're now getting in their old age there's also another cohort of people on social welfare people in their 50s who for whatever reason lost their job and now find themselves unable to get another job because of their uh, age. It's almost like those people in their 50s have no place in society because they find it very hard and they're desperately looking for work and can't get work. So Tom said it frustrates him and makes him sick to the core of his being that we would have some of our listeners complaining about any increases that are going to be announced uh, today or considered under the summer summer economic statement because he said there are people really deserving of it. Thank you for that, uh, Tom. We spoke about the solar panels with Dr Paul Dean from UCC, which I have to say I really enjoyed my chat uh, with Dr Paul. You could His enthusiasm for us all going down the solar 
panel and getting solar panels on our roofs. And, you know, and to hear him say if he had his way, people who couldn't afford it, the government should move in and install those solar panels and we'd all be getting free electricity. But you could see his enthusiasm and and a man, you know, he's a climate scientist, so he knows uh, what he's talking about. And Eddie said there's there's nothing new in, particularly when I was talking about farm families and farm families getting involved in putting solar panels on their roofs. Eddie says, if you pay a visit to Germany, you will see the roof of nearly all farm sheds are lined with solar panels. How many commercial roofs could we fill in this country with solar panels? The electricity bill we pay is at the end of the day giving just giving more money to the government every two months when we pay our bill because of course there's VAT on top of, of our electricity uh, costs and uh, so if you had solar panels you'd be generating your own electricity which would ultimately mean you'd be paying less money into the coffers of the government Eddie said I'd love to know what Ireland pays out a day to import gas and electricity uh, and I'm sure that Dr Paul Dean mentioned a figure I'd have to listen back to the interview now again I'm sure he mentioned a figure about what we import but just while the news was on I did a quick search as to how much does Ireland spend on importing fuel and energy and the latest figure I can find was a figure on energy imports to Ireland back in 2019 and at that for that year it was 4.5 billion a year and it was actually down from 5 billion the previous year and that was due mainly to lower prices for oil and gas in 2019 so you can take it that figure of 4.5 for 2019 and it was 5 billion in 2018 is even gone higher because of the rising prices of oil and uh, gas and we are heavily dependent on oil imports due largely to energy use in uh, transport. So certainly, yeah, if we could all start looking at solar panels and there was more wind farms, you know, we live on an island. We've got, why, and I'd say it, I don't know how many times I've said it on the programme, why we are not going offshore with all of these big wind farms. It's always windy out at sea. We could be self-sufficient in generating our own electricity. It's just astounding how we, and they always talk about it and the experts talk about it and the government talk about it and we never seem to move on it. 0818-103-103. And then still getting in a lot of commentary on the, on the, the original text that came in from the listener who's married to a farmer and worked has worked the land all of his life. Farm now has been signed over to him and his siblings feel that they are owed or entitled to either a chunk of the land or money. And the farmer's wife was on saying, you know, how did other fe- people feel about it? And we've had a huge, huge reaction uh, on it, including Michael, when I was saying that sometimes it ends up going to court, particularly if somebody's died without a will. And Michael says, yes, judges differ and judgments differ depending on the circumstances surrounding the case. If another sibling our siblings who have been away for years have contributed financially to the upkeep of the property can prove it then that is a different situation you have to know the correct circumstances to adjudicate not just hearsay uh, what I what Michael quoted earlier was case law absolutely I'm not what I'm talking about are siblings who contributed nothing absolutely nothing to the running of the farm either by way of doing physical work are contributing financially. They are the ones that I, hand on heart, feel I don't understand how they could even think they have an entitlement when just one sibling remained 
and ran the farm and did everything and invested in the farm. To me, that's the only person who's got the entitlement. Um, thanks for your text, Michael. Good morning, uh, Patricia. This is Elizabeth on the text about the farm. If it's signed over, then it is the son's. However, as the siblings are kicking off, then all the thousands that the son has already put in to upgrade the farm, the siblings should put their hands into their pockets if they feel they're now entitled to a share and not have the one son pay for everything. If the siblings were asked for the money to pay towards what's been invested in the farm that might shut them up as usual they don't they just want a cut but they won't be willing to pay for any of the upkeep beforehand and actually the thank you for that Elizabeth the original texter came back on to just to clarify and to say that the elderly parents in this farm family are still alive the farm has been transferred to the one sibling who's remained on the farm and has been working on the farm and invested in the farm. She said her husband lived in the family home for years when he was single. They obviously now have their own uh, property. But even when he was single as the only one working on the farm, he paid all of the household bills, the electricity, the heating, he even paid the health insurance uh, for his parents. This was before the farm was ever transferred over. There were siblings living there at the time and they never contributed. I, I, I do think what somebody earlier said that you need to go and get... If it, particularly if it's getting out of hand and, and, and your husband is put under huge pressure go and get legal advice but I think it's now a different different case that the farm has been transferred over that farm now belongs to your husband and he's they, I don't think there's a judge in the land would say that he has to pay out something to his siblings but go get legal advice if he's feeling under immense amount of pressure because you don't want to be living with that kind of pressure and, and that arguments that can erupt and families can get split it's just it's horrible it really really is uh, horrible uh, hi patricia not all not not all parents are alive and not all families have wills uh, made not all landowners are farming the land as it is doesn't produce an income a lot of landowners are knocking down farm buildings and going into B&Bs themselves a lot of in-laws and partners are selfish people are just out to make money it's sad to see land going to waste when there are so many people hungry and houses being knocked down when there are so many people um, homeless a lot of people don't have any knowledge or interest in farming. I think it's very foolish times that we are living in, says a texter. And a North Cork listener says, Patricia, is that all bothering people wanting land and uh, money? Come and live where I live and then you'll see what life is uh, like. Where I live, there is a very bad thing called anti-social behaviour. These people aren't worried about land, farm or money. All they're worried about is what they can do and say to ruin other people's uh, lives. And that's that ongoing battle where some people unfortunately have to live uh, with neighbours from hell. 0818103103. John Paul continues to take your calls. I can see calls coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming, please. You can text her WhatsApp in those questions as well to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. 
Wing Cemetery Mass is uh, taking place tomorrow night, Tuesday. That's at half past seven. All are welcome. While Grantan's Cemetery Mass will be on Wednesday. That's the 6th of July at half past uh, seven. Bingo will be on in Mallow GAA Complex next Friday night, 8.15, with a jackpot of €1,800. And Colin Vintage Afternoon makes a welcome return next Sunday in Colin GAA Grounds. Live music by TR Dallas, plus a recital from the Colin Pipe Band, balloon artist Kenny the Clown will entertain the, cl- the crowd plus sideshows and children's sports. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Just looking down at uh, some of the texts, particularly WhatsApps that are coming into us this morning, uh, especially following my chat with George from the Citizens Information with regard to qualifications for medical cards and GP only cards and the European Health Insurance Card. I can see a number of questions uh, coming in to the programme and also somebody saying, could I have the telephone number of them? For all of the people with the, with the queries, it would be too long to be getting into individual queries for me to be giving you answers on it. And what I would suggest is a lot of your answers are actually up on Citizens Information if you've access to the internet just go to the Citizens Information website Mind of Information but failing that you can call them they have offices at Formoy Mallow at Bantry and often just by simple phone call lay out your stall what your question is and they literally can answer it for you there and then if you are in the North Cork area there's an office in Formoy 0818 077970 the Mallow office is 0818 Eight zero zero zero, and the Bantry office is o eight one eight zero seven eight three nine. Uh, zero, and they're happy to take calls at any time and of course all of the information and advice is given free and in total confidence so it's just that I'm not ignoring those texts I would just be here all day trying to answer the individual queries that have come uh, in I just did the community diary and this came in from uh, Tim I think this is in from saying hi uh, Patricia would you please mention the following in your programme today the Broom Hill Vintage Club will hold the Andrew O'Reardon Memorial Tractor Run and Coffee Morning Nuts happening next Sunday the 10th of July. The meeting is at the Abolic GAA in Coachford. Registration will open at half past 10 in the morning and entry is by donation and then they will leave Coachford at half past 12. All tractor makes and models new and old are welcome and all monies raised will go to the wonderful Marymount Hospice, Down Syndrome Cork, Beata House and the Mercy Hospital's Children's Unit. You can get more details on the upcoming tractor run by going to their Facebook page, the Broom Hill Vintage Club. Good luck to everybody and let's hope well, you you've look like you've picked a good weekend to have it because as of now the forecast for next weekend certainly is really good. Number of questions coming in for Annalise. Thank you for that. Keep those coming. She'll be joining us in a moment. Hi Patricia. I'm sitting here now waiting for the last 56 minutes waiting to get through to the Residential Tenancy Board the RTB to discuss an error made by them. I've already spoken to somebody about a month ago but they haven't rectified the er- the error so here we go again. Me sitting waiting 56 minutes. This listener not impressed with the RTB. While I appreciate says this listener big landlords can be ruthless and all the other names that they often get called but with the government heaping more and more paperwork and restrictions on us the smaller landlords you will see far fewer houses for rent and small landlords ending up leaving the market with the government please 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 make a distinction 
between the two types of landlords, the very large landlords and the smaller landlords. And we are we are unfortunately seeing more smaller landlords because of all the red tape and the problems that some of them are having. And, and we spoke only last week, you'll remember, that got a lot of reaction on the, a lot of the papers picked up on it. The, that tenant from hell who left the dog starve to death in the apartment. And then when she came back after, wait, they reckon about three weeks, the dog was left in the apartment unattended and then put it into a black plastic bag and put it into the end of a wardrobe. And eventually, when the landlord managed to get into the property three months later, I mean, the smell when they opened the front door was just horrendous, horrendous. And that again led to the discussion as to why smaller landlords are deciding, I'm just going to sell the, sell the property. And of course, the knock-on effect is there are less properties for rent at a time when we have a huge, huge housing crisis. It really is uh, shocking. So sorry to hear that you're... Well, I've never had occasion to ring the RTB, so I didn't realise that they, they have they had that many calls going in. 56 minutes seems an excessively long period of time to be waiting. And then somebody else raises a completely different topic today. This is the issue of rounding up or rounding down because it does work both ways. The sister says, doing some shopping at recent in the West Cork area and the amount due was €12.63. The assistant looked at me and said, that'll be €12.65, please, because they were rounding it up. They're well able to round it uh, up. And they said, now, by law, you don't have to, you don't have to pay for rounding up if you don't want to. Let me go back and just remind ourselves when rounding happened. Rounding was introduced for cash transactions in Ireland. It's actually back in 2015. It's 17 years ago. Or seven years ago. I thought it was only a couple of years ago, but it's seven years now since we've had uh, rounding. And rounding means the total on your bill is either rounded up or it's rounded down to the nearest five, five cents. And at the time, the whole concept behind it was, was really to kind of get rid of the two and the one uh, cent. And it's important to note, it only applies to cash payments. It doesn't apply if you're paying electronically. For example, if you're using a debit card or a credit card or a store card, or if you're just going to tap and go, then if you were going to tap and go, it will come come out of your bank account as €12.63. It won't go up to the €12.65. It's only if you are paying by cash. But the flip side of that is, if the bill had been €12.62, you'd have only paid €12.60. So rounding up and rounding down kind of it, it works both ways they reckon it evens out because if you're only dealing in cash you will be paying the extra two cent on some transactions but you'll also be getting two cent back on uh, 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 on others and rounding aims as I say to reduce the need for one and two cent uh, coins and the reason that they introduced it was they are very costly to produce For the mint to produce one and two cent coins, it actually costs more than what the one and cent to the one and two cent coins is actually worth. And that's got a lot to do with us having jars at home full of one and two cent uh, coins and they're down behind couches and they end up in the bin and all kinds of things. But they actually cost more to make. So central bank decided and a lot of places across Europe are are doing it as well but it's important to note even when it was introduced in Ireland in 2015 rounding is voluntary for retailers and for consumers the retailer can apply rounding automatically without asking you but you can choose not to have rounding applied 
and if you've got the exact change with you, you can insist, well, I am only giving you €12.63. And of course, it's still the one and two cent coins are still legal tender. So they have to take it uh, from you. I don't know if it annoys other people or do we, I, I mean, I have a tendency, I think we just got used to it over time. And I can see why now, because I just, as I say, couldn't believe it's been in seven years ago because I remember when it first came in people were giving out stink about it and then people realised that it does level out you know you'll get the rounding down which will work in your favour as, as much as you'll get the rounding up where it works in the retailers uh, favour 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls and looking for your questions now for Annalise please a nutritional therapist uh, she joined us after the break you can text you can whatsapp your questions to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And I can straight away see a blast of. COVID questions uh, coming in. Are you noticing more people down with COVID or hearing about more people down with COVID? Yes, there's a huge increase at the moment. And actually, if you think about it, it's to be expected because there's so many people now socialising, going on holidays, sitting on planes, enclosed environments, passing on germs. So it's, I think it's to be expected, really, isn't it, Patricia? But I was listening to Dr. Killian de Gascoigne at the weekend talking about this summer wave that we're going through. And he was making the point that it isn't a series of conditions, say, as it was with the Delta. Now, that's got a lot to do with vaccinations as well. But it's not landing on people's chest. It seems to be more upper respiratory and in, you know, between coughs and sort of in, in your nasal cavity more than anything. Yeah, I think, well, you know what, the, it'll continue to mutate, Patricia, the virus. I mean, I had COVID myself, and to be honest, only that someone had said to me, you better get tested, I wouldn't even have known I'd had it. So I think the key is to keep your immune system healthy. Keep yourself healthy and keep your immune system boosted. And regardless of what mutation comes along, you have a better chance of being less sick. So I have some people who have come in and have had it, and they've been wiped out and um, had a terrible, terrible cough. Um, and then... Yeah, but it's more of a dry cough. And then some people coming in and they've, you know, very mild symptoms. So, again, I suppose it's very much an individual thing. Mm. But thank God we should see it getting milder and milder as it mutates over the years. OK, some of the COVID questions. And 69-year-old, no serious health conditions, thank God. Well, on Saturday last, I tested positive for COVID. I've all of the symptoms. I'm very weak, I have a bad cough and I'm all pains. What would you suggest for the cough, says Anne? Okay, so it's a very dry cough that people are getting and that's what's awful. It's so painful. The chest muscles and everything are getting sore. So for that, you want something that's very soothing like marshmallow or mullion. And I know that Comvita do a lovely um, cough. They do lovely cough bottles. They have the Winter Wellness, which is always a great one for any cough. But for particularly dry coughs, they have the marshmallow one and they have a mullion one. So I would definitely recommend that for that really bad cough. And then make sure that you're taking a vitamin C and a zinc tablet a couple of times a day. I'd nearly do it while you're sick. And also make sure you're taking your vitamin D at least once a day. And that should hopefully boost your immune system to fight off all the other symptoms as well. 
well. Um, and then when you're finished, if you still have that tiredness, the source of life gold is what we're recommending for that. Yeah, lot, lots of, and that's what I took when, after my COVID episode as well. And then a little five-year-old who got COVID at Christmas, and since then, he keeps getting bad coughs. For example, he's been on three antibiotics since uh, Christmas. Would you have any advice? Now, I don't know whether that's linked to COVID or not. I don't know for sure, Patricia, but what I do know is that COVID is a very weird virus and there's like that long-term tiredness and long-term chest problems is very, very common. Even myself, I feel my puff isn't as good as it used to be and I didn't even have a bad cold with it. So I think it's very likely to be linked. Really, again, it's about supporting the immune system and supporting the chest. Now, I don't know how old this little one five, is. Five, little five. boy, little five-year-old boy. There is What we were recommending for people for chest um, was the N-acetylcysteine or NAC it's called I think it's, it is safe for a five year old but just go in and check with the health shop that you're close by and make sure that you mention any other medications that he might be taking um, I would I would feel confident giving it to a five year old um, even though it's really only designed for adults and that is great for kind of breaking up um, any sort of residual mucus in the chest but it's also very good for strengthening the chest and the other thing that might work well then is something like um, a salt pipe which is just you're really breathing in kind of through a ceramic or plastic pipe and minor salt crystals are going into the lungs and it really does kind of keep the lungs clean effectively but also I do think it toughens up the lungs and then for anybody who's lost their puff blowing up balloons is a way of kind of trying to you know improve your lung capacity again after a, a very bad cough now don't strain yourself but what you can do is you can start practicing by blowing up a balloon and what you should be able to do notice is that you're getting better and better at it well, all the time well, that's a simple one that we could all be doing uh, at home okay and then on a couple of different uh, issues uh, could you please ask Annalise is there any solution for helicobacter pyloria I am sick with burning pain for a full year now so this is a bacteria, Patricia, that lives in our gut. Now, it doesn't live in all of us, but like a large, most of the population of the world have some level of this bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. And it can live in the gut quite harmlessly like other bacteria, but it's when it grows to disease-causing proportions that it causes the problem. And what it does is it, it actually affects the mucus-producing cells of the stomach. So the stomach cells can produce that lovely big thick layer of mucus that normally lines and protects the stomach from acid which is released when digesting. So typical symptoms would be burping, nausea, um, a lot of people will have a lot of IBS-like symptoms and typically the treatment is what they call a triple therapy antibiotic treatment and they're very, very strong antibiotics that kill the bacteria off. Now that is probably the most effective um, treatment but not everybody benefits. So if that doesn't, there's a product by a company called BioNutri and it's called Mastic Gum Plus. Mastic Gum is wonderful for anything ulcerated or any inflammation of the stomach lining. And I would in the meantime as well take something like a slippery elm so that when you're eating, the uh, the stomach lining is covered with that lovely slippery elm uh, mucilage because you're not producing your own mucus. Um, and if that, if, if, if that, you should try that for at least three months and then take a break. And if that hasn't worked, and you get the symptoms back again, you're going to have to go back for another course of those antibiotics. 
Okay, here's, a, here's an interesting one from Anna. Uh, hi, Patricia and Annalise. I'm just wondering, is eating lettuce every day okay? As we're growing our own this summer and I'm absolutely loving it. My concern is, could I be getting too much magnesium by eating all of this lettuce every day? Also, what about raspberries? Can you have too many raspberries in your diet at this time of year? Thanking you, Annalise, for all your wonderful knowledge and delivery every week, says Anna. Okay, firstly, too much lettuce. Can you eat too much lettuce? Well, not really. I wouldn't worry about getting too much magnesium because the body is an incredibly clever piece of uh, of machinery. So lettuce, there, anything green will have magnesium in it, but it also actually has calcium. It'll have a bit of sodium. It'll also have lots of potassium. So actually all of those are normal, what we call them electrolytes, magnesium, calcium, potassium and sodium. They're all coming together in the lettuce. So your body will take what it needs of each so you won't overload yourself with magnesium. Some people don't digest lettuce well. If it doesn't agree with you, you'll see a difference in your bowel movement. It might be runny or you might see it undigested, but otherwise you could eat as much as you like. It's so healthy. And the same with raspberries, really. The worst that they'd cause would be a runny tummy. So you can eat enough to get yourself to that stage and then maybe scale back slightly. Okay. Hi, Annalise. Could you help, please? I have, I've been diagnosed with an allergic reaction, but don't know to what. I'm now on steroids and antihistamines. Would you have any suggestion? Yes, that can be so frustrating because it can be very, very hard to pin down what it is. And when you're in an allergic state, lots of other things then actually start to disagree with you. So there are a couple of things that we recommend for people that have got this hugely allergic state. The first thing is a probiotic, a good probiotic for the gut, because there are bacteria in our gut that produce histamine. And I always think it's like a glass of water, Patricia. If your glass of water, i.e. if your histamine-producing bacteria are quite high, something is on the outside is much easier to kind of overfill your glass and trigger an allergic reaction. So if you can actually get in the good bacteria in the gut that reduce the amount of histamine-producing bacteria, it, in, it increases your ability to, you know, to it basically lowers the level of water in your glass, so it takes much more for you to be triggered. Um, so a good probiotic... There's one that I'm loving here at the moment. It's Nature's Plus Immune. It's actually called, uh, it's an immune probiotic, but it's a very, very good broad spectrum one, um, Nature's Plus. The other nice one that we like, I suppose, the Udo's Super 8s are always great. And the um, BioCult is another lovely broad spectrum one. Um, and if you can't get that, I know that the OptiBac as well has a lovely bacteria in there that is a non-histamine bacteria, and that's the everyday one, the Optibac every day. So they're the three different kinds of probiotics. Then the other thing I'd mention is called quercetin. Quercetin is a wonderful natural antihistamine and it basically just helps you again to increase your threshold and your tolerance level of, level of external triggers. So you'd want to be taking about 600 milligrams a day of quercetin and um, good good brands of that are either BioCare have a great one, Maconta have a great one, they're a lovely Irish company um, and you'll get that in any health shop. So combination probiotic and quercetin. Okay, hi Annalise. Uh, what do you think of intermittent fasting for somebody with type 2 diabetes? Have you a view on that? Yes, it's absolutely fantastic. It really, really is. Not everybody can do it. I'd say, um, you know, what you can do is you can... So basically what it is, Patricia, is that you eat within a small window. And some people try and fast for 12 hours and eat within 12 hours. That would be the broadest window, really. But ideally, the best one is like to fast for 16 hours and eat within an eight-hour window or more than that. And what that does is when you're fasting, your body 
is actually um, in a kind of a, it's a kind of an arrest, almost rest and repair mode in one way. So they, because you're not busy digesting, your whole system is able to kind of do a search and repair for old cells. So it's fantastic in terms of healing. The best way to do it is to eat your last meal at night and then fast while you're asleep. Um, and then you can extend your tolerance levels. Now, it means that you can't even have a cup of tea with milk in it in the morning. You can have no calories at all. And for people with diabetes, it can help improve insulin sensitivity. In terms of longevity, there's lots of research now showing that it can increase your lifespan. It also can help decrease your chance of getting um, inflammatory illnesses like cardiac heart disease, Alzheimer's. So there's lots of reasons to do it, but you do have to eat the healthy food then in the eight hours as well. Okay, and uh, I'm trying to bunch questions, so many questions coming in and they all have a uh, similar thread running through them. Uh, menopause, can you discuss menopause, particularly uh, somebody suffering menopause and finding it hard to sleep? What would you suggest taking? Very common, Patricia. And actually, I always say rather than treat the symptom, treat the cause. So typical symptoms of menopause would be hot flushes throughout the day, night sweats and interrupted sleep, low mood, increased anxiety, brain fog, forgetfulness, sore joints, lack of libido, dry skin, thinning hair. It's, there's a lot for us um, that we have to put up with. So really the, the solution is to try and prop up the dropping estrogen levels and progesterone levels. And you do that with natural herbs. So the supplements that we find the absolute best here that work really well is the Nutri Advanced Perimeno Support um, it's the Mega Mag one, so it's fantastic for sleep as well. So it's called Mega Mag Perimeno Support, and that is the top of the range. There's plant-based estrogens in there. So these are kind of chemicals that mimic estrogen that have come from plants, and they're very, very safe unless there's a family history of breast cancer or cervical cancer. Um, and they will address all the symptoms. So you won't just get a better night's sleep, but you might improve your mood and your brain fog might clear up and you feel you have more energy. Um, and a joint pain as well can clear up a lot of the time. There's another lovely one by an Irish company as well. Um, it's the Revive Menno Active. That's a very good one. And they would be the most expensive. And I suggest start on those because they're absolutely the best, either the Nutri Advanced or the other one. And then you could move on to a cheaper one for maintenance, like maybe NHP uh, Menno Support is another very good one. But I would say to people, don't be too afraid of HRT either, because the study itself now that showed that it increased women's risk of cancer has been pulled apart a little. Um, so it's not as severe a, a kind of a risk factor as they thought that it had. And the benefits can completely outweigh any risk for a lot of women who are suffering. OK, and uh, getting in lots of questions about COVID and the, the best tonic to take. Somebody says, is Alflorex, is that any good? Somebody else says, Re repeat the name of the tonic that you suggested. And somebody else did the revive after COVID, but still feeling tired. Yeah, the, so it's, it's a hard one, Patricia, because some people will, you just have to, you know, you will feel tired afterwards. It can take a while to recover. I think the source of life gold, the revive active works very well for some people, but not for others. Whereas I love the Source of Life Gold. I feel that nearly everybody gets a bit of a boost from that. Um, so that's very good for the energy side of it. And then if you're a little bit chesty, actually Dr. Claire is doing a COVID blend, which is wonderful for that lasting cough. The only thing, Patricia, is that people need to come into the shop to me to get it or to go to Dr. Claire herself to get it. Um, it's, not, it's not available over the counter. But that is fantastic if you've got a lasting cough. And if you can't get your hands on that, do a combination of NAC, the N-acetylcysteine, 
and take the olive leaf extract as well and that is fantastic to make sure that you're boosting your immune system it's a very powerful antiviral so try that uh, the source of life goals are um, the N-acetylcysteine for chestiness and the olive leaf extract and if you have a lot some people are getting very allergic symptoms like rashes and that Patricia after Covid and that is very much like what they call mast cell activation system so it's syndrome it's like a overload of histamine so the quercetin that we mentioned if you have the post-covid rash the quercetin is fantastic for that okay you're a man of information and everything you've mentioned you'll put up on your website healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio later on this afternoon listen thanks for that have a lovely week thanks, patricia we'll talk again next week that is annalise Drissel, health hub times square in balancolic with the website healthhubstore.com and john paul will put it up as an individual podcast later on this afternoon as well that's where i leave you for today my thanks Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is back with us this afternoon and I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.